Welcome to the Mediocre Outdoors Podcast, where we talk about everything outdoors. After living with teenagers, I decided that I have a lot of knowledge left and nobody really to give it to. So, I created this podcast so that I can give my information and my knowledge to you guys and pass it forward. Alright, so another episode... It's been crazy. So, summer finally got here. It's August 3rd. So, uh, yeah, there's there's summer. It's hot. Um, just waiting for... Just waiting for... See what happens and see if I end up going out on some fires this year. But, uh, anyways. Uh, last couple of weeks have been kind of crazy for me. And so, I'm going to share them with you guys. Uh, let's see. what how did, how did I have this set up? First of all, I think last time we talked, I was really hitting home on bear hunting and how bear season was almost here and how you guys need to get out and scout. And so uh, I did those things, actually. Um, got all excited, got to get everything together, <clears throat> excuse me, and uh, went to go head out early Friday morning. 2020, I'm going bear hunting. I get all my gear together, get ready to go, and the wife rolls over out of bed and says, hey, where are you going? Going bear hunting. She's like, don't you know it's the 31st? And I said, ah, crap. I'm glad I didn't, I'm glad you said something, because that would have been horrific. Um, Anyways, so the next morning I get up again, double check it's the 1st, uh, opening day, and I head out, and I got up a little later than than I originally wanted to, one, because now I was a little deflated, because I'd already done it once the day before, and it kind of lost its luster, two, uh, I had a little bit to drink, and then actually there's a third that, you know, in the summertime, I see more of my bears midday. Uh, which is weird because it's the hottest part of the day. But I usually late morning, uh, early afternoon is usually when I see most of my bears. Anyway, so I get up a little later than normal and and talk myself into sleeping in a little bit. And I get out to my spot. And I actually have two spots. And one of them is kind of my buddy spot, but we kind of hunt it together. Uh, and then the other spot is primarily my spot I don't know anybody else that really goes there anyways uh my friend was apparently gone uh, on a fire in Oregon so I thought well he's not around so I might as well you know and and my justification for it was normally I wouldn't take a buddy's hunting spot but my justification was he wasn't there there's plenty of bear to go around in that area and it's also one of my early season uh, archery elk areas. So I kind of figured I'd scout, and if I seen a bear, you know, whatever. So, uh, anyways, so I roll up a little late, and wouldn't you know it, my buddy's already there. He's already, he probably beat me by a half hour. So uh, it's three and a half mile hike into where we hunt, and so uh, I get to the trailhead, and get my stuff together, and I hoof it out past it. Now, because he's already ahead of me, I'm not expecting to see anything. And so, uh, I'm just kind of 
taking it all in, right? Like I'm I'm checking things. So I notice the blackberries are not ripe yet. The apple trees aren't ripe yet. Really nothing's right other than maybe some uh, cascara berries. And so I'm like, eh, okay. But as I walk up the road, I start noticing that there are uh, stumps tore up. And quite a few stumps tore up. So the bears haven't switched over to fruit yet. They're pretty much off of grass. The grass is pretty much dead, so they're not eating grass anymore. So they're in this in-between stage where they're eating larvae and bugs and stuff like that out of the stumps. And small fawns and small critters if they can catch them. Um, but usually right around this time, depending on, depending on when we get our summer. So sometimes our summer comes in early and by June it's already hot. And sometimes our summers don't start until after 4th of July. So it just depends on the year. This being a later year, um, nothing's ready yet. So uh, I figure probably, I figure probably by about mid-August the barriers will be on, and these barriers are going to be way more active in this area. But because, like I said earlier, I'm trying to kill two birds with one stone and do a little elk scouting. Uh, I continue, so I get down to my area and notice that, yep, I was right. None of the fruit's ready. Nothing's been really moving around. There's not a lot of bear activity anywhere. And uh, I see some hazelnut trees. Now, um, in North America, there's two different kinds of hazelnut trees. Uh, don't don't uh, don't quote me on on the the two different species, um, or sorry, two different varieties of hazelnuts. But uh, there are two. And anyways, the ones we have on the West Coast are, I guess, the less desirable ones. Um, they're still hazelnuts. They're still good. They're just not as good. I think the one in the Midwest is the American hazelnut, and I forget the name of the one that we have. Anyways, but uh, so I see that there's quite a few hazelnuts on these trees, and they're little, um, little green casings. So I decided to pick a few of those, and uh, it's kind of funny because here I am. And full camouflage. No hunter's orange because you don't have to have hunter orange early bear season. And I'm in this big hazelnut bush kind of half crawling up in it trying to pick these hazelnuts. And it dawned on me all of a sudden that, hey, dummy, you know you have a buddy out here that's somewhere. Could be He could be 20 yards away. He could be two miles away. I don't know. But he's out here somewhere. And here you are. Looking like a dang bear, crawling around in this bush, making all kinds of racket noise, I, I, I possibly could get shot. Like, this is a really bad idea. Anyways, so after rethinking my situation, I, I picked up the hazelnuts that I had, which is, you know, I probably had two cups, two cupfuls of hazelnuts. Not a lot, but enough. I filled my pockets and figure well i'm i'm not going to be crawling around in bushes right now cuz that would be a really bad idea but just about that time i hear a bugle now my buddy uh is not really a bugler like he he's he's from he's from the midwest and uh he's more of a whitetail guy where us you know coasties we're 
we're big on bugle and we like to bugle we bugle a lot uh, I'll, sometimes I'll even bugle in July just for the sheer kick of it but anyway so I hear this bugle and it's pretty close I'm gonna say within a couple hundred yards but it's just perfect it's almost too perfect it's almost like uh, I could I can hear it coming out of a call um, so I'm like oh well, maybe my buddy is out here calling, but he's not a caller, but maybe he's out here calling. So I kind of wait a few minutes. I don't hear anything else. Um, usually when it's a human, you can, you know, they're usually going to call quite a bit. This is just one call. And I thought, wow, 1st of August, that's really, really early for bugling. But it, it just didn't seem right to me. Something seemed off about it. Anyways, I just kind of threw it back in the back of my brain, kind of forgot about it halfway, and I went and hiked my way out. So, uh, and then I guess thing I want to share with you about the hike out is, is that if you haven't started doing a few hikes, and I'm talking three, four, five, ten, fifteen mile hikes um, to get in shape, that. Uh, you're going to have to you're going to probably have to carry some products with you. So what I didn't do because I'm an ignoramus and I do this every year and you'd think I'd learn by now, but uh I got chafe. And when I say I got chafe, I'm talking like almost couldn't walk the next day because the insides of my thigh just below my crotch were bleeding and scabbed over. Like I went way over what I should have done. So, one, that tells me, well, actually, it tells me a few things. But one, it tells me that my legs are flabby and not in shape. Two, it tells me that I didn't bring any powder or any kind of cream, uh, ointment, or anything to help the situation when I first started feeling it. I just was a bonehead and powered through it, figured I'd be fine, and paid for it for about three days. So, not to mention that I had been out fishing the day, a couple days before, and got sunburnt really bad on my legs, on my uh, upper thighs, because I had short shorts, and when I sat down, they got even shorter, and I didn't use sunblock, again, like an idiot. And so not only do I have this massive sunburns on the top of my thighs, now I got chafe, well, let's just call it rug burn on the inside of my thighs. And so I'm hurting I'm hurting pretty bad. It took about three or four days to really get over that. But anyways, long story short, make sure that you carry something with you to keep uh thigh rub to a minimum. Uh you know, some people just wear, um, you know, a longer shank uh, underwear. Some people will, you know, have specific, I don't know, runners have certain kinds of gear they use. And, and everybody has something or, or knows something. But if you've never had, if you've never had real chafe, um, or like I call it, rug burn, um, it's, it gets pretty bad. So you want to have something for that. And then... Make sure you use your sunscreen. Don't be an idiot like me um, and get burnt. So, anyways, moving on. So, a few days later, I talked to my buddy, the one that was out there hunting. 
And I mentioned to him, I said, hey, man, like, did you bugle? And he's like, no, why? And I said, well, I heard what sounded to me like an absolutely perfect bugle. Not a lot of grunt in the front, not a lot of chuckles in the back, but it was just a perfect, just up, down, crisp, straight bugle. And he said, well, that's really weird because I seen a crap load of elk out there. Of course, I didn't see a damn thing. But he said, yeah, he's, he counted from the time that he left the truck to the time he got to our bear hunting spot, he'd seen roughly eight bulls, legal bulls. And he says they were sparring, he could hear him bugle a little bit. So, anyways, that's great news for scouting for elk season. Um, not so good for bear season, but you know what? If I got to use bear season to go elk hunting, then I'm all about it. Like, that's fine for me. Uh, because if I can't, if I can't make it go in one thing, I'll use that time to make it a go for the next. So, but that's kind of how I do things anyways. Most people, I think, kind of do that. Is that the guys that really like to be in the outdoors, the guys that really like to hunt, season, the way seasons stack on each other is that Use the first season to kind of scout for everything else. If you're successful for that or that animal, then fine. But if not, you're using that time to scout for the next upcoming seasons and the next upcoming species. So, and so on and so forth until the season's over. So to me, it wasn't, you know, it's not a loss. It's not a big deal. Uh, but I'm impressed to know that the elk are already shedding... They're velvet. They're already starting to bugle and spar in their bachelor groups at the first of August. So, for where I'm at, that's not normal for what I know. Other people might say differently, but usually for me, when I see bulls starting to really take on those characteristics, it's usually late August, early September. It's almost like they're a month ahead. But that could be that could be a microclimate. It could just be that area. Um, I don't know. Um, I don't know if it's just a pocket of elk that just happened to get going a little sooner than other elk. But I'll know soon once I do some more scouting. Anyways, uh, but things to think about when you're out there, guys. Like that's that's the thing, right? You're not just one track mine. I'm going after a bear. I'm going to find a bear. I'm going to shoot a bear. It's scouting for everything you're out there you're looking for bear sign you're looking for elk sign deer sign elk deer bear uh cougar whatever you're out there hunting turkey antelope if you're in an area with antelope you're not just hunting for one specific thing you should be just looking for one thing you should have your your wide field of view open and you should be paying attention to everything tracks food cover Habitat, water sources, sounds, visuals, the whole nine yards, smells, um, scrapes, rubs, uh, urine areas. I mean, you name it. When you're out there doing this kind of what I call scouting, you're really just picking the woods apart to find out exactly what's going on in that area. So when you are ready to get out there and get after it, you're already ahead of the game. You you know where things are at. 
you know their habits, you know what they're doing, and then now it's just you against the animal, not you against other hunters and the animal. So you have a you have a huge advantage. Anyways, I feel like I'm going on another tirade, so I'm gonna let that go. Anyways, uh, no bear at this time. Need to get back out there again. But since I've gone there, uh, I have been busy helping a buddy put up a pole barn. I spent all weekend on a roof. Uh, well, <laughs> on some trusses and purlins. Uh, 20 feet in the air on a pole building, putting on the metal roof all weekend in the heat, which was kind of not fun, but, uh, got to get it done. So did that. And then, oh, my fishing trip. So me and the boy, the younger boy decided to, uh, do a little fishing trip and I tried to get him on the podcast, but 16 year old boys usually are just too busy to sit still long enough to do a podcast. It seems like, but Anyways, uh, we decided to do our little, I would say, yearly trip uh, down our local river. And uh, uh, we got a couple spots on our local river where we found uh, some smallmouth bass in the past. I mean, you know, where we live, bass is not really a thing. They're around... They're not really big, large mouth or small mouth. I mean, we have a few ponds. Um, nobody really does it, you know what I mean? Like, um, the guys that really do it are in eastern Washington or down in the Columbia, uh, stuff like that. More people around here fish salmon or, uh, you know, bottom ocean fish or bottom fish in the ocean, um, tuna lingcod, you know, that kind of stuff. Not so much bass and, and crappie and, and, and warmer water fish. One, because there's not a lot of them. And two, um, it's just never caught on here because we have so many other anagemous fish species that uh, we can fish for. So, anyways, uh, we decided to go up and check this area out. And, you know, Past years, we've when I say we go up there and catch the bass, I'm talking like might catch three or four, you know, twelve eight to twelve inch bass, you know, three quarter or a third pound to half pound fish. Like we're not talking record book fish. We're not talking anything like that. We just go up and have a good time. It's we usually uh, take the kayaks and we'll go for four or five hours. You know, it's literally quarter mile, half mile from my house. And so uh, we decided to do it, but this trip was a little different because uh, I was feeling a little lazy. Now, usually, like I said, we take the kayaks, um, you know, we usually paddle up the river half mile or so from my house and uh, upstream because it's not a very hard current, especially this time of year. And... We'll, we'll do the fish. Well, usually, you know, you get a pretty good workout, pretty good arm workout getting up there, and then you fish for two or three hours, uh, catching a few fish here and there. I mean, it's really throw in an area, maybe get one bite or nothing, move, you know, cast, move, cast, move, cast, move, hit a couple small fish, had a good time. 
Well, this trip, I decided to, uh, I was feeling really lazy, like I said, and my dad had a, like, 17 or 18-foot kayak, or not kayak, excuse me, 18-foot, 17-foot canoe, and this is the old canoe with the the bow and the stern are, are really high, you know, and it's kind of what they refer to as the old, you know, kind of Indian canoe or whatever that has the, the front that curls way up. Uh, but it's got a really wide bottom, and it's a super stable canoe. But I told the boy, I was like, well, let's try to take the canoe instead of messing around with the kayaks. And he's like, well, you know, I don't know. It seems like it'd be more work. Well, my dad is always, 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 always talking about hooking up electric trolling motor to a canoe. And here I, I'm just, I guess I'm still young enough that I'm naive of the old ways, but to me it sounds like a horrendous idea. It just sounds dumb. Like, how would that work? It's not going to work. Um, there's no transom. There's no nothing. It just it's, it seems like a stupid idea. Well, <laughs> I decided, you know what, I'm going to test this stupid idea. And so we grabbed the electric trolling motor and the battery and all our fishing gear in this big-ass canoe, and we head to the river. And since it doesn't have a transom, which those that don't know, a transom is a flat area on the back of a boat where your motor mounts to. And so there's no transom on a canoe. It's just a, it, it looks the same in the front as it does the back, right? It's just pointy on both ends. So what I decided to do is I took a piece of wood and I mounted the um, clamp for the the motor on the side of the boat towards the rear in front of the rear seat. And to counterbalance that weight, I put the battery on the other side of the back seat. So basically, if you think about it, if I'm sitting in the back of the canoe, I have a motor just in front of my right knee and a battery just in front of my left knee. And so, and then my boy is sitting all the way at the front to to balance it out. And then all our gears in the middle. Anyways, I'll have you know, as screwy as it looked, as hillbilly and bastardized as it was, it worked really, really well. Except for one thing. As long as we were going straight, it worked awesome. Because... That canoe is so long and it tracks so well in the water, it takes a it takes a month of Sundays to get that thing turned. But uh, and you're definitely not going to turn it with with a, with that little motor and the little um, uh, keel on the motor. Like it's not enough. Now an aluminum boat or something like that. It, it's it's built a boat is actually built differently and it, that little. Uh, keel on that motor will actually turn that boat pretty quick um, just because of the design of it. With this canoe, the way it was designed with the big rib down the middle of it, uh, she doesn't like to go off track very easily. And that's why if you know anything about canoeing, usually you do a lot of back paddling on one side or four paddling, and usually it's two people in your working together to get that thing to turn one's going one direction one's going the opposite direction it'll help you turn better uh, or turn sharper i should say anyways so i get this great idea that okay well we can go straight and this thing will just 
cook. I mean, it was actually going pretty quick. I bet you we were doing 10, 7 to 10 miles an hour up up the uh, up the river, which beats the crap out of kayaking, doing maybe 2 or 3 at the very most. So anyways, um, I take one of my canoe paddles, and I put it behind me and and work it like a rudder. And kind of like I would if I, maybe I was going down a faster stretch of water or maybe even some light rapids. Uh, if you know anything about canoeing, you usually will take the rear oar and you use it as a rudder uh, and to kind of steer it through the faster water because you really don't need to be paddling. And so I take this kind of same concept with this uh, motor and it worked awesome. So here I am. I got this motor on the side of my canoe, kicking us up the rivers, you know, at a pretty good clip, and I'm steering this thing very efficiently with an oar as a rudder in the back. So it looked goofy as heck, but man, anyways. So we get up kind of in the area that we're wanting to fish, and the boy throws on, I don't remember what he was using, I think it was a, man, I don't remember the brand, but it was a, a like a sluggo, um, so it's like a, looks like a really, really fat pregnant, uh, rubber worm. And then it had, uh, like a swim bait tail on it, like a round floppy tail. And so it made a lot of motion and no weight, just, just, a uh, plastic worm hook and that, uh, watermelon green sluggo thing with some red flake in it. And he flips that thing out into an area and just instantly just boom hits a big old fish and all excited all excited and boom we lose it and we're just kind of disgusted with ourselves you know like oh man i can't believe we lost that blah 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 but that was a really good sized fish probably pound and a half two pound fish which is really big for what we normally catch out there anyways so we move up the up the water some more and kind of took note of the type of habitat that we caught that fish in, which happened to be, as my boy calls it now, is rocks and sticks. So rocks and sticks is where you find smallmouth bass. Now, I'm sure you can find them other places, but if you have a rocky, screedy bank that the rock is visible above the bank and it just runs down the bank under the water, um, for a ways, they like those rocky areas. Or if you got a bunch of brush and, and down trees and logs and overhanging brush, they like those kind of areas. They like the ambush spots. And anyways, so we get up the river a little farther with little luck. I think the boys probably caught five or six, you know, in that quarter to, to half pound fish range. I'm, I'm skunk because pretty much I'm just the captain dipshit in the back trying to get this stupid uh bastardized motor system to work so uh anyways if we finally get up to where we're wanting to hunt or fish excuse me and uh i actually have a chance to do some fishing and of course i'm just not getting nothing and isaiah's caught a few more i think he's probably caught 10 by this time uh nothing over a pound and just about that time I'm thinking, man, we should maybe head back. Wham! Isaiah's rod bends in half. 
And I mean, we're not using anything great. We're using probably five and a half to six foot rod, medium light action spinning rods with six pound test, um, monofilament, just cheap. You know, it's it's the pull that you could buy at any Big Five or Walmart or whatever. The reel and the rod, you buy them together with line already on them. You know what I mean? It's just that Shimano or Strin or whatever the just cheap junk pole is. And he just he doubles his pull over on this fish. And he fought it for probably, I don't know, three, four minutes. And we don't have a net or anything. We don't. I'm not a net fisherman, so it's like it's hard for me to put a net in my boat when I'm used to steelhead and salmon and things like that. That I just always land on the bank. Well, I just so you know, now I I own a net now. But uh, so this is the second big fish. Isaiah is able to get a hold of it, gets it in the boat, and it's a beautiful fish. This is the kind of fish that I personally will not release. So I know if there's probably people in the South that are probably screaming right now because I kept a bass and I didn't release it. But I'll tell you what, bass is delicious. And I'm sorry, but I'm going to keep a couple of them, especially if I got a two-pounder that actually has some fillets on it. So don't write me any hate mail, but I, yes, I eat bass. And so anyways... So now Isaiah's got this monster fish in the boat. I still have nothing. Uh, I'm, I am goose egg right at this point. I'm skunked. And so I don't remember what I was using. I was using, maybe I was just using a, uh, just a Yamagatsu 6-inch watermelon rubber worm. And I was able to actually find one of the sluggos. I was able to find one of the sluggos and uh, hooked it up, and I bet you it was maybe three casts, and I hooked a toad, a toad, and I fought that thing because I didn't have a net, and I was scared to death that I was going to snap that wussy-ass six-pound line I was using. I fought that thing for probably seven, eight minutes, which is crazy for a bass fisherman. Um, I mean, I had to play that thing out. There was no way I was getting in the boat if it had any kind of strength left in it. And so I played it and played it, played it, finessed it, even brought my drag down a little bit so it could take a little line, a little easier without putting any stress on my line. And I got it. And it was a three-pound smallmouth monster. Now, I'm, maybe there's people out there that that have... Um, have bigger smallmouth than that. Maybe, you know, if you're from the Midwest or whatever, maybe down south, I don't know. But for where I'm at, that is a toad. Toad. Um, when Isaiah was younger, we fit, we went over to the east side and did some fishing for smallmouth. And uh, when he was about seven, he caught a four-and-a-half-pounder, which was absolutely still the biggest smallmouth I've ever seen in my life. But this was a close second. And I landed it, got it in, and I think we caught maybe two more small fish that day. But those were two beautiful, big, mature smallmouth, and they made awesome fillets. So uh, I brought them home. 
I've laid them, vacuum sealed them, and they're in the freezer waiting to be devoured here later this year. But great trip. It was a out of the blue trip. I mean, it was it was hilarious because we were being lazy and did all kinds of stupid things like put an electric trolling motor on a kayak. Uh, we didn't have a lot of gear. We just had some remnant gear from trips earlier in the year. So we're literally just piecemealing, you know, lures that we could find or worms that we could find, rubber worms we could find, um, using some crappy old trout poles like. The whole thing was just a hodgepodge thrown together mess, and it turned out to be an awesome trip. And I find that to be more the norm for me. Uh, whenever I'm not prepared to the nines, whenever I'm not ready for a situation, is usually when I find myself in the best situations. Um, and I guess that goes back to the whole thing with scouting and preparing and practicing and basically being a year-round sportsman. Um, If you know that stuff inside and out and you have, if you have your basics down to where you can do them in your sleep, the rest of the stuff, the gear, the, you know, whatever, you're going to be able to work through it because all that stuff is just comforting. What what makes a hunter, I think, or a fisherman, whatever, is dealing with stressful situations and knowing how to execute uh, success in those situations. And what I mean by that is that, okay, yeah, so we have some crappy poles with six-pound tests on it. And all of a sudden, I catch this monster fish. Well, the first thing I could have done if, if I was inexperienced or if I wasn't practiced in how to deal with that stressful situation, I could have overreeled or panicked and broke that line and lost a fish. Instead, I slacked the drag. I kept my rod tight, kept my tip up, kept tension on him, and I just worked him and worked him and worked him. And that is the difference between being able... I mean, I guess you could call it wisdom. But that is the difference between success and failure in a stressful situation. Same goes with hunting. You can have all the gear in the world and the best stuff in the world and blah, blah, blah. When I'm, when I'm totally set up to where I, there's every I is dotted and every T is crossed... I never see shit. I never do. I never see anything. But as soon as I forget my knife at home or extra ammunition or, I don't know, boots or whatever, that's usually when I find myself in a situation for success. And I have to overcome the creature comforts or the gear or whatever that I'm without. But being able to handle those situations, nine times out of ten, I'm successful. And I figure it out. So, uh, I don't know where I'm going with this really. I guess one, I would say, you, you really, for me, when you're not expecting it, is usually when things happen. Good, bad, or other. Uh, when you're not prepared is usually when things happen good, bad, or other. 
But staying cool, staying calm, and having the experience and the knowledge from being in the woods and having multiple experiences, you should be able to overcome the situation, good, bad, or other, without all the extra gear, garb, and situational stuff, right? So, uh, the reason we have gadgets and stuff and technology is to make life easier on us. It's to make life more efficient or to take the slack up in our insufficiencies uh, in maybe our practice or our habits or our ability to deal with a stressful situation or whatever. So here I am rambling again about nothing, but if you... If you're out there and you're doing it, you do your scouting, you do your planning, you do, you know, you get yourself in shape, you practice with your weapons, and you have that stuff down, and you and you go over scenarios, you're paying attention to things, your surroundings when you're out in the woods, if those bases are covered the 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 binoculars the 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 knives the clothing the fancy gun what all that stuff is just extra it's not needed you can go out there and you can do those things without needing all that expensive crap if you got the basics down i guess that's what i'm trying to say and i'm sorry it took so long for that to get out but i don't know i'm just rambling now Anyways, fishing trip is over, bear season has started, uh, building pole barns, um, garden is going like crazy, we, we even canned a bunch of uh, pickles the other day, um, and hopefully for too long if you guys are interested in canning and stuff or maybe getting somebody on about preserving food, I'm planning on getting somebody on for that because I think that'll be fun. Um, hopefully next week I'm going to have the, um, one of my interviews. So, uh, that's finally, it's taken a while for everybody to get on board with that. And, but I will hopefully have us an actual interview here in a week or two. And, um, that'll be awesome. And then we're on the backside of August guys. And archery season is right upon us, not to mention some, grouse season and and small game season so um if you've been working with your dog that's great uh if you haven't get out there and work with your dog if you don't have a dog um well i don't know get out there and practice your shooting if you're a shotgun guy it's time to get out there and start shooting some clay pigeons find a find a uh skeet range near you or if you got the ability go to walmart and spend 20 bucks on five, uh, you know 125 rounds of uh, shot shells and a case of skeet for 30 bucks total um get yourself a five dollar skeet flinger and a buddy and go out somewhere where you got some space and and fling some pigeons um time to get the rifle sighted in before hunting season starts you know get your local gun range or rock pit or safe area with a good back uh backstop 
and uh, put some rounds down range, guys. Get get that gun sighted in now. Don't wait till the weekend before opening modern season to go shoot your gun. Shoot it now. Practice it at distances. Practice it at different positions. Prone, kneeling, standing, offhand, you know, uh, in off camber, off from a rock. I, I don't know. Get out there and use your weapon. If you're a bow hunter, you should have been practicing since January. Um, get your local archer range. Make sure that all your stuff is tuned. Make sure that you got your arrows are tuned and you got your broadheads are tuned and... There's so much work to be done right now, people. You get get out there, get your gear ready, and get ready to go. So, that's my motivation. Also, get out there and do some fishing. Right now, uh, I know it's warm out. Salmon is kind of going on, but I don't know. Lately, man, the salmon and steelhead has really been, really been kind of crappy on the coast here, but uh, on the west coast, but... Uh, waters are warm, so we're not going to do a lot of trout fishing unless you get up in the mountains. But, um, yeah, catfish. We've been doing some catfishing lately. I haven't been successful, but I've been working on doing some catfishing. That's a new thing for me. Uh, I'm not a big cat fisherman, but uh, taking it up because catfish are delicious. Um, but, yeah, there's the bass, there's the perch, there's crappie. There's all kinds of things out there to do, guys. Like I said... Berry season's almost upon us. Pretty soon we're going to be talking about making pies and jams and jellies and all kinds of other stuff. So um, get out there and forage. Get out there and do your thing, and we'll talk to you guys soon. Thanks for listening. Appreciate it. Bye. I hope you enjoyed this podcast and all the other podcasts that I have recorded. If you have comments for me or maybe you have a suggestion about a new podcast or maybe something that you want me to research and find an expert that might explain it better to you, get a hold of me at weinke333 at gmail.com or you can also find me on Instagram at Mediocre Outdoors. If that doesn't work, you can always get me on Anchor. Anchor Anchor.fm. Leave me a message. Mediocre Outdoors. Thanks. I appreciate it. And keep listening.